0: Hello, welcome back. It's currently 10 10 p.m. for me on a Monday evening and I just got out of a float tank. <laughs> Have you ever floated in a sensory deprivation tank? Oh my god. This was something I was getting into for a while and then took a break from and now I'm back in a fully sterilized float tank facility having all sorts of insights and deep deep ruminations. So today's podcast tonight's podcast is with my friend Juan Fernando and as you will soon find out this conversation while it's focused on music and specifically how music plays a role in relationships as a love language as a modality as a form of an expression as a form of representing our our history i really really loved this conversation and there's just so many layers to it and since recording it i've just been thinking more and more about how music functions for me in my life and how music functions for me in my relationships. I'm super into music as many of you who follow me on Instagram at the probably know. <laughs> I'm always posting music and you you've also probably picked up on I listen to a very very broad array of genres, time periods, etc. So since recording this podcast with Juan Fernando, I've really been playing with playlists and I created a playlist for the Magnetics Love School girls. They've been loving that. And I also started creating playlists for different feelings to process feelings. Um, Like I have a full anger playlist, all of which I will be sharing in the Magnetics Plus group, my membership community. And I also created playlists for different avatars or alter egos that I have. I also started to notice how I use music as a tool to shift into shift into feelings that I want to experience, to bubble my energy or create a world or kind of like introvert <laughs> when I'm in public. I also noticed how I utilize music as a way to kind of time travel back to feelings or if I need a little bit of that 2007 Quora energy to (laughs) inject into something I'm doing I'm like "Hmm, what was I listening to in 2007 and then I'll revisit that and kind of like re-embody whatever I need to re-embody from that era. All of that being said, this conversation sparked a lot of thought in myself of how music functions in my life and how I utilize it. I hope it will for you too. So enjoy and uh, Magnetics Plus members, keep your eyes peeled for (laughs) the feeling processing playlist series that I will be sharing with y'all. Relax. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. <sighs> <laughs> Welcome to Pillow Talk Radio, the most delicious place to be. On this podcast, we explore how to create more connection, possibility, romance, and magic in love and in life. I'm your host and relationship specialist, Cora Boyd. Are you with me? My friend Juan Fernando is here. Straight from Bogota, Colombia. Welcome. Thank you, Cora. I asked him how he wanted to be introduced, and he said, hmm, well, like, I'm doing a lot of things right now. So I'm a music journalist turned entertainment lawyer who, during the pandemic, has transformed into a film producer. So Juan Fernando is very multi-talented and has his fingers in many pots and uh, wrote for a long time for Rolling Stone in Bogota and was an entertainment lawyer and is now entering a new foray, motivated by his impeccable taste in art and culture, (laughs) which I've learned a lot from. (laughs) Anytime I want, some new music. I know Juan Fernando is going to know what's up and I just message him and he sends me a playlist. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for more. (laughs) (laughs) Like a little baby bird waiting to be fed.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm very excited about your introduction. I love talking about taste. It's important.
0: So today we're going to talk a little bit about how taste factors into romance and relationships and compatibility. We're going to talk a little bit about playlists as a love language and just the language of music. Uh, as a way to relate with each other, and dating culture in Colombia. The reason I was saying this prior to recording, but I read this really good book by this woman named Moira Wagle called Labor of Love, which is basically charting the invention of dating and how dating culture is intrinsically and very often dictated By the economy and what's necessary in the economy so it's like you know here's what to do on a date like this is what everyone's doing right like we receive a lot of this messaging so in large part capitalism (laughs) dictates how we date how we interact Um, or this is the thesis of the book so there's a whole chapter in it that got me curious and this is why I reached out to Juan Fernando for this conversation because this whole chapter she's talking about taste in dating culture and consumer tastes and how on dating profiles for example you can link your Spotify or back in you know the the stone age when you used to like different Facebook pages or you know list off on your your dating profile what books you've read or like What Netflix shows are you binging recently? It got me thinking about this and how it's kind of silly when you look at it like that, right? We're like, we're going to be assessing people based on their consumer tastes, right? Like I've certainly swiped left on dating apps because they had super basic or shitty taste in music or whatever. But as Juan Fernando knows, I am, (laughs) I'm not above shitty and basic music. (laughs) I've certainly like had that as a filter and I I think it is a valid one and it's one that we can bring some awareness to and ask Juan Fernando, how much do you think music taste matters in your love life?
1: Well, I think it matters a lot. As you mentioned, music is very important for me in my career. I've, I've tried to put music into everything I do professionally. And well, what I found with this is that my relationship to this thing that you were discussing has changed a lot. If I was to ask you, for example, what kind of music do you listen to? Hmm. It's, it's hard to sum it up, right? Yeah. Like for me, I knew how to answer that question when I was nine, for example, because I, I listened to whatever my older brother liked. Yeah. And when I was, uh, I don't know, 13, 14, I, I used to gravitate to outsider music, you know, sad music, uh, metal, that yeah. kind of thing. And I used to think that someone who enjoyed that kind of thing because it was kind of like outside the mainstream would automatically uh, have like rapport with me or would even be like a, like a, like a good partner romantically. Mm -hmm. I'm 29 years old right now. And if you ask me what kind of music do you like, it's really hard for me to answer that question.
0: You're into so many different genres, which is why I always love your playlist.
1: I think that, Now that you mentioned playlists, there's a lot of emotions that go into making a playlist. That's the way I do it. I used to host a lot of parties in my apartment and parties and after parties, you know, and what you generally... Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) You do know. So what you, generally what you want is you want to kind of imagine the mood you're going to, like the emotions that you're going to bring to the people that are going to listen to that. I was thinking about my dating profiles when I had them. And what I wanted to show about myself, as you know, as a product, <laughs> considering you were talking about like this whole uh, economic background, what I wanted to show okay, about marketing myself, marketing yourself, yeah, yeah, was that I listened to a bunch of different shit.
0: Yeah,
1: I would include the fact that I like reggaeton, which is like a massive statement in in terms of you being able to accept that you have a lighter side, that you like to party. But mm-hmm. I also wanted people to know that I like. I don't know, serious music and I like me cave the bad seeds and I like Interpol. And I wanted someone <laughs> that would be able to appreciate that sort of thing rather than someone who just basically had my exact same interest.
0: Right. Because that taste, it speaks to, as you're saying, it speaks to deeper dispositions of like, yeah, this signifies like I can get down and party. Like this <laughs> signifies I'm a deep, moody, sad boy, (laughs) right? (laughs) This signifies this facet of myself. Yeah. And uh, tell us, Juan Fernando, how did you come to love reggaeton?
1: I came to love reggaeton because when I was growing up, I tried to be like, uh, I I was this rock kid. Uh, I hated dance floors. Uh, As a friend of mine said, I I preferred the the bar over the dance floor. And we were, I, I think it was 2015, was it? When... I I met this gringa in Medellin (laughs) named Cora Boyd, and we decided that reggaeton was not so bad after all.
0: One night, we were just like, is it so bad after all?
1: (laughs) What is this reggaeton that these youths keep referring to? Reggaeton is a crazy thing, now, now that you mention it. Not just anecdotally, but it's this music that was created by the poorest people in Central America. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was forbidden. And I don't, I don't remember if it was Panama or, or Puerto Rico that actually forbade the reggaeton because of the content of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And now it has become Latin American pop music. And yeah. every single label wants to have a major reggaeton artist. Yeah. And that's very revolutionary. It's hard to ignore. I would love to hear how, like how, how this is happening in the United States because it's gradually conquering more, more space. But here in Colombia, you have like music elitists hate mm-hmm. reggaeton. And when I was working at Rolling Stone, I tried to get a lot more content related to reggaeton. And it was, it, it was an uphill battle. So I am very proud of reggaeton and, and, and the things that have been accomplished by Latin music worldwide.
0: Yeah. Despite
1: yeah. it, you know, kind of being a product. But I love the fact that you love reggaeton as well. And, and we
0: yeah. continue
1: having conversations about it.
0: I love it so much. I think that it is in some sort of Pavlovian way, very linked emotionally to like my sexual awakening because <laughs> like that was an age where like my sexuality was starting to like come online. Like I was like having these like feelings and then it was just like <laughs> to a constant backdrop of like, yeah, yeah. No, but, but anyway, that, it's like Pavlovian. I hear I hear reggaeton, and I'm just like immediately aroused.
1: <laughs> it's so um, primal. That yeah, thing, exactly. That dembow thing. It's so yeah. It's just like
0: very liberating and talk about just like an immediate dopamine hit or like an immediate yeah. feeling that you can you tap into yeah and it's interesting how music is like that and music is also because it elicits so much emotion it's really connected to memories connected to memories even as i just described right like i can go back to that feeling of like being 15 in chile and like being kind of like nervous and like a little excited and I'm like ah, i'm at a party <laughs> Ooh and that feeling like new right and that feeling and also in terms of songs that we connect with someone over like in a romantic relationship it's really hard to hear songs that remind you of people you're not with anymore
1: yes that's why you should probably not ruin your favorite songs with
0: (laughs) don't ruin them by uh, sharing them with your significant other because you never know (laughs)
1: No, nah, but you, you, you yeah. do get a lot of joy from enjoying those kind of experiences. But, yeah. you know, coming back to the playlist thing, it's incredible because at some point you start becoming aware of how you can, I'm not going to say manipulate, <laughs> but if, if, if I'm them? having a good time, yeah, yeah. If, if I'm having a good time and there's something playing on the background and the lyrics and the, mu- and the, the rhythm is conveying this message of a good time, I'm also going to associate you with my good time. It's going to also bring us together. And I think that people are looking for that sort of feeling all the time. And that's why you go to parties. That's why you try to find clubs that play regularly music that you're into. Because yeah. you want to feel that way.
0: Right. It's about a feeling. Some people say music is a drug. Do you agree?
1: I, I have experimented with both. And they certainly tend to like hit some very specific spots, particularly when you when you yeah no i for example i don't know i have a lot of friends that are very into the electronic minimal techno scene it's kind of fun but what i get from listening to that music is there is no way you can enjoy this if you're not super into drugs because it's just like this (laughs) and for me that's the appeal so (laughs) it's definitely something that i don't like sensory that music is supposed to hit on your nervous system i don't know but
0: yeah yeah absolutely and i remember we went to boiler room And that was one of my first forays into like an electronic show and that kind of electronic music. And as you may recall, I was kind of confused by it, but I'm really into it now. I'm really into it because of what you described where it's like it does something to your nervous system. It's like it hits on a different level than like highly lyrical stuff. It just like hits emotionally or like you feel like you're kind of in a trance.
1: And I've seen this sort of thing. I think there's like there's a movie about it, like how like it synchronizes with your heartbeat or something like that. I think that what we're getting to is that you enjoy music on so many different levels. You enjoy it on a social level. Yeah. You enjoy it on a um, sensory, nervous, I don't know, sort of way. And you also enjoy it very culturally. Mm -hmm. And I think that all of those different levels start to interact inside your mind when you're trying to determine whether you like someone based on, on their taste. In music, particularly, I think it's the one you tend to talk about the most.
0: And just in terms of dating, like you're spending time together, you're in the car, you're at home, you're wherever, and you're listening to music. And if you hate what the other person is playing, it is, you know, it is this backdrop to everyday life or like accompaniment or however we Mm -hmm. want to look at it. But like that can become a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's fun, too, is do you feel like your musical taste has been influenced or expanded by people you've dated?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very exciting thing when there's something you can either share with your partner or have your partner share with you because it's like something to look forward to. Just to think of an example, like my girlfriend is very into Japanese culture, Mm -hmm. which is not something that I've traditionally been into. And she showed me uh, K-pop, CD-pop and some like lo-fi hip hop, like lo-fi Japanese hip hop. And I, and I get what she, why she likes it. And I'm starting to like it as well. It connects to the version of yourself that you're currently experiencing. Glory. And you, you also kind of want to do that for the other person.
0: That's so interesting what you just said. It connects to the part of yourself you're currently exploring. That's so true because you can also seek it out when you want to experience a certain feeling, and it is kind of like a feedback loop too. Because the, if you're listening to the same shit on loop, sometimes I listen to all my liked songs on Spotify, and then I notice that I am kind of like stuck in an emotional pattern or like stuck in a certain like thought pattern. I'm like, oh, obviously, because I'm listening to the same song I was listening to on repeat last month. I'm not Uh evolving and introducing novelty to that emotional repertoire that I go plug into every day. And, you know, I go for a lot of walks and listen to music.
1: One of my favorite things in the world is when you're having like this very normal, boring, repetitive days, uh, nine to fives. And when when you discover a new song that sounds like nothing you've ever experienced before, that can fix your day automatically. It's it's crazy because that's also why you want to find in someone you like.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, when you're first starting to get really into someone and there's some sort of song you have associated with them, it's like, I can't be the only one who listens to that shit on (laughs) repeat when I'm crushing hard.
1: I think it has a lot to do with, the way in which you're open to new music and new, it kind of like it's sort of related to how open you are also to different cultures, to different people. And yeah. if that's important for you and a partner, then you're going to want someone who's open to new, new music and to new art and to new experiences. But also, I've seen it happen a lot, particularly with men, that they tend to make these projections, these caricatures of what the kind of people that you necessarily are if you like this sort of thing. Yeah. Cuz I had, I had I heard a friend who recently said, "Oh, if I could find a girl that's into this very underground Spanish punk band, then she's going to be my perfect match." And I was well, not necessarily, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah. That's where it's interesting because what we're talking about in terms of like consumer and art taste viewed as a compatibility factor Within dating, it's like there is truth to that. There's truth to that because it indicates a lot about deeper values. And as you're saying, openness to different cultures, openness to different vibes and ways of being. And at the same time, it's not a direct indicator. It's not necessarily a direct indicator or just because someone has the same taste that you do, it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to
1: be compatibility. Not at all. Yeah. And you get very disappointed when you assume that, and that has happened to me a lot.
0: Yeah. And I think also I sometimes feel a little bit irked when I encounter people who really, really link identity to taste because of course, you know, people who have wonderful taste in art like you, that is something that you should absolutely take pride in. It's a type of discernment that is both expressive of who you are and it's also the joy of learning or like discovering new music and the joy of like exploring the world, exploring your emotional range through music. And it's, it's not your identity.
1: Yeah. You put a lot of hours into developing your taste throughout the years. So you should definitely be proud of that. It's like a, yeah. it's like a garden. Like you, you worked on that shit. So you've earned it. But it's also not necessarily static. It's, so, it's going to be redefined really yeah. by your experiences all the time. But you, you know what? I, I just remember that I saw Anthony Bourdain went to Saudi Arabia and he had no clue who was going to be his tour guide. And I remember that he started interviewing different candidates. The question that he started asking a lot of people was Beatles or Rolling Stones. Mm. That's it. And some people got annoyed by the question, but I I, I kind of get it because yeah. the Stones there are, are super chaotic. Camps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the Beatles are very, I don't know, they tend to want, you want to create beauty throughout order through order. And the Stones, you want to kind of, like, you're more of a chaotic type. Right. So I, I have... Seen that you can actually create, craft a personality test (laughs) whether somebody prefers the Beatles or the Rolling Stones.
0: Absolutely. And I I really like what you just said of it's not static, it's not fixed. It evolves with you and looking at taste as an expression of self.
1: If you're a music journalist or whatever, you have to realize that 98% of music that has lyrics tends to be focused on romantic and sexual experience. So this is, it has to be part of the way in which you're consuming and thinking about music. It's absurd that you're not thinking about that.
0: Mm -hmm. And also how, because of that, music influences what we think of love and what we think it should feel like and what we think it should be like and like what it does feel like and what it is like. Does it ever Bother you how much music is around romantic love?
1: I used to have a boss, an editor at the magazine at Rolling Stone, who used to complain about that all the time. And he would give better reviews to albums that had no love songs. Because I feel like a lot of times he resent the fact that it's so, like, obviously part of, like, the marketing experience about love and, you know, like, the industry of selling this experience. But it's also, writing a song is also a very intimate and uh, personal journey that you're going through. And a lot of the times you're going to want to write about what makes you the most vulnerable, which is necessarily love or the, the lack thereof. Yeah. So you can be annoyed by it, but it's going to be there. And whenever you're going through those very deep and strong emotions, you're going you're to want to have a good love song that it's close to what you're feeling at the moment.
0: Also, music and heartbreak, that comes in clutch. You ever like are heartbroken and you hear something that just really hits home, and you're like, oh my God, I feel so seen.
1: That's the power of of very particular songwriters is the way that they can, because you know, when you start writing love songs at some point, it's going to start sounding all the same, but then you have these gifted songwriters that are going to make it like think about it in a whole new way it's very important for you to feel that this particular song is closer to what you're feeling that i don't know the songs that your parents were listening to there's a method to that madness definitely
0: i always think of playlists or like dudes in the 90s making mixed (laughs) things to like (laughs) court chicks who had ferrets you know (laughs) yeah that's totally what was going on in the early nineties, right? Can you describe what goes into creating a playlist for someone you really care about?
1: Yeah, I think that you you're thinking about the kind of experience you want to have It's funny also because you tend to when you're whenever you're crafting a playlist, you're thinking about the future if you're thinking about like all your bangers like your 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 potty playlist, most of the times you're going to make it when you're i don't know probably at the office or something like that so you're trying to like envision the way you're gonna feel and the way your friends uh, are gonna feel at that moment or when you're trying to create a playlist for someone you care about you're trying to anticipate a lot of a lot of things but you want them to know something about them. I tend to associate playlists with uh, what you said a couple of minutes ago the way I want to feel at that particular moment whether it's like I don't know, I, i want to feel like a sad bastard or i want to i want to feel like i just woke up and it's a, it's a good day there's a lot of hours that you spend on your playlist and you're proud of your playlist as well
0: have you ever had anyone make you a playlist and you hated it
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're like here's a little nugget of love and you're like this sucks
1: <laughs> no, no this sucks cuz and you know what? It's crazy because I'm thinking of a very specific case. <laughs> and when I got that playlist, I knew that I just didn't feel the same way about this person. You know, because the kind of message that this person was trying to send me was definitely not what I wanted. Definitely not the way I understood our relationship. Mm. So it kind of like drove me away almost instantly. <laughs> so it's funny you you, you asked that.
0: So was it just like conveying a level of like depth and commitment you weren't feeling or was it that the music was terrible?
1: Some of it was terrible and it was just it was kind of cheesy uh it was like using very commonplace things about oh I found you and you're great and I love you and (laughs) I, like I that is not
0: gonna that. cut it for my dark gloomy soul try again
1: whereas i can think i have this this playlist with my current partner and it shows such an evolution because at first it's like some of the songs are like i like you but this sort of thing is like not necessarily convenient for me right now <laughs> and that's there on that playlist and you were also mentioning your like the songs you like the songs you save on your spotify playlist if you were to go and check the songs you liked on, I don't know, 2017, 2018. You're going to get a very good feeling of your experiences and what you were going through at that time. I, I love to do that, for example. Yeah. So I think that a good playlist needs to reflect something you're going through at that moment. Otherwise, you might as well just check out the playlist that Spotify makes for you. you yeah. know, there's no soul in that, no personality, so why bother?
0: So the playlist you have with your girlfriend, it's, it's co-collaborative and you continuously add to it?
1: She's the one who updates, uh, updates it. Yeah. And uh, the songs are like, I know I, I have perfect notion of which songs were added in, I don't know, December, which songs were added in January. Yeah. Because yeah. it, was, it was a progressive thing. Whereas this other awful playlist that I'm telling you about was just us. Uh, surprise I got one day and it had absolutely no coherence with what I really felt this this uh, relationship was.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. So you have a playlist that's kind of a, a time capsule.
1: Yeah, what I think that tells you is that there's this intimacy in a relationship is going to be very related to the music you consider intimate. Has it ever happened to you, Cora, that you're at a concert and you Feel that you love the artists and the songs that they're playing, but you probably enjoy them more in your own living room because that happens to me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that's so intimate, it's so personal that I have to make this mental exercise of I don't know, like removing everybody else on the audience so I can enjoy it the way I have been enjoying this my whole life. There's some songs that you're just gonna enjoy them that way.
0: If you were to give advice to someone in a new relationship as to how they can integrate music into the relationship, whether that is creating a playlist, Uh, you gave some good tips for, you know, you want to think about how you want to feel. What advice would
1: you give? If you're like on early stages of a relationship, right?
0: Yeah. How do you use music to court someone?
1: I think the courtship music is very different to the relationship music. Because when the relationship music is usually very deep and confessional, and uh, you know talking about how you never felt this way or something like that, whereas when you're in the middle of the courtship, you want to just be exciting, you know. So I I would I would talk about uh, I would use actively uh, try to find music with lyrics or, or or beats that make you sound probably mysterious. Uh-huh. And uh excited about what's gonna happen. And that that can that can manifest itself in whatever genre of music you think. You yeah, know, that can work in rock music, that can work with party music. But yeah, it's it's when when you're trying to meet someone new, you you think about the excitement and the the potential, the possibility. So I would probably think of that. I would use some maybe some French uh electropop. They're very good at, <laughs> at courtship music. <laughs> yes.
0: When in doubt, go French electropop. Go
1: French electropop. For courtship. So
0: with letting the motivator, letting the the driving force be, what feelings do I want this person to experience?
1: Yeah, because that's what that person is going to feel when you're around.
0: You're incepting. Yeah. <laughs> you're incepting <laughs> into their mind with your French electropop.
1: Yeah, you know what? My final advice on on the playlist thing would also be to be open and reciprocate to what the other person is, is showing you because you don't want to be the kind of person who's just like shoving all this thing into the other person's yeah, uh, and,
0: and allowing you know. it to be a conversation where yeah you're you're listening to stuff that they send to you too and allowing it to influence what you're listening
1: to it's important for me but it's also important for me to just not try to teach someone about music, but just mutually discovered. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a very big difference between teaching and sharing when it comes to music. And like someone can come at it from a place of imposing their taste on you, right? Versus yeah. introducing or sharing.
1: Yeah. And I've had that. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah. like No, you know what? But you should, actually, you should listen to this and it automatically shuts you down.
0: Right. Because when it's something you can do together, it really is. It's a, an exploration. It's a way to be closer to each other. And I, I also... I love that collaborative playlist. I have a a handful of other friends. Maybe I should do that with Ben, but (laughs) that would be fun. I know people who have dated communicating through playlists, right? They're starting to talk to someone, they make a joint playlist, and then like someone Mm -hmm. adds a song and it's an exciting thing because there's some sort of message, there's some sort of smoke signal in it. Yeah. And I think that's super fun and sexy and delightful to let it be a love language in that way.
1: Using it as a love language, it's way more exciting and sexy to experience a song that has a message than just have someone tell you exactly the words behind the song you know because you're feeling it in more than one way so it is it is a language
0: it is absolutely it's a way also that we can express ourselves with people when we don't know how to put words to the feeling
1: yeah i mean like animals sing songs in i don't know like mating rituals so it's <laughs> no i think it's primal that now that you were mentioning reggaeton and i don't know that, that does make me wonder whether this sort of thing works in different ways in different cultures. Because maybe it's very important in, I don't know, maybe Latin American cultures to have rhythm. And the, the courtship ritual is very related to dance, mm-hmm. probably in, in another culture It has a lot more to do with the poetry. There must be different ways to approach this, I think.
0: Yeah, based on conversations we've had and just your experiences recognizing that probably most people listening to this are based in the U.S., not everyone, what are the differentiators that you see between dating culture in the U.S. and dating culture in Colombia?
1: For me, the U.S., it's hard to define, you know, (laughs) because you get so many different Well, it's enormous. (laughs) Yeah, it's enormous and you have basically people from all over the world in the U.S. Yeah. But working as a music journalist, I have realized that, for example, uh, there's a lot of things that are rock and roll particularly that are huge in the U.K. and Europe. And they're basically non-existent in the U.S. You tend to have your particularities regarding taste. Dating apps are... Way more developed and common than they are in the u s than they are in Latin America, hmm. and I've also known that because of your your career. The kind of thing that you do it has no parallels in Latin America or in Colombia at least that I can think of
0: I feel like too because Colombian cultures, it's a lot more community oriented. The culture in the US, I think it's shifting and I think that's a really exciting thing, but it is historically extremely individualistic. And not only that, because it's so enormous, displacement is very common it's also not commonplace to live with your family as an adult like all of these things that disrupt network and disrupt community and i think that is a a big challenge for dating culture in the u.s is that it feels more challenging to meet someone right whereas in bogota where you live you've you know you've known people your whole life and you're like really deep in your community and people know people and it That's probably how most people date, right?
1: That is exactly how most people date. You tend to go out with friends of your friends. And sometimes you even skip the one-on-one date until you've like weighed down the dating process, you know? I I can think of a lot of examples in which the first four or five dates that you have with someone is at a party with a bunch of people with a lot of friends and that changes the whole thing. You know, the music you listen to, the kind of uh, plans you have and the way in which you approach them as well. Right. So yeah, definitely the, the community part of it, it, it's huge. And I met my girlfriend, Alejandra, through a dating app. And a lot of the times when you say that, people get very surprised, you know, because it's like, what? <laughs> and I've no, I also know of Colombian people that meet through Tinder or through Bumble or some other dating app and they lie about it because yeah, you're it, like, It feels oh.
0: stigmatized. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that that's a huge difference, I think. Well, you've been to Colombia. How did it strike you?
0: <laughs> Colombian and Latin American men in general are a, a lot more willing and eager to express interest than American men.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>
0: A lot more, especially in Seattle, which uh, I think I've told you has been voted on several dockets as the worst city for dating in the U.S. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah, so I think that's another part of why it, it doesn't feel challenging to meet people is because um, there's there's a lot of warmth and a, a lot of willingness to pursue yeah. and a lot of willingness to make gestures.
1: I feel like there's also a, like watching my film fellow latin american men the <laughs> fact that you're a latin
0: american man my fellow in the men, scene. latin men <laughs>
1: the fact that you're more open to approach someone and manifest your interest doesn't mean that you're less clumsy at it mm-hmm. you know and i've i have a lot of international friends here in bogota and I've had a lot of women complain to uh, to me about the way that Colombian men approach them. And I think that is definitely starting to change because men are realizing that this is not the way to do it, you know, to be like very aggressive and Mm -hmm. dominant, but there's also difference between countries and difference between regions. Like men in different regions of Colombia will be way more aggressive. And it has happened to me that in the past that uh, some women from, Kali and Medellin are more aggressive, have no interest in men from Bogotá because they consider them to be too timid, too boring, because they need to feel that a man is 100% transparent about his intentions, otherwise they get bored. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's a lot of levels to that. But if you listen to our music, it is very different. Also because, and this is huge, because there is contact. When you go to dance... With Europeans or Americans, you can dance all night without having any contact
0: mm-hmm. if you don't want to. Mm-hmm.
1: That's very hard in Latin America. Mm -hmm. contact is invited and contact is one of the best ways to find out if you have sexual chemistry with someone Mm -hmm. so i imagine that that helps (laughs) that helps a lot along the way
0: yeah and also public displays of affection or just like affection physical affection is so much more commonplace as compared to to u.s culture i mean and again there's It's hard to even encapsulate U.S. culture into one cohesive thing. I used to feel kind of shy about PDA being, you know, a white girl from Washington, D.C. (laughs) And then my first long-term boyfriend is from Chile, and he would laugh at me a lot. He would be like, what What are you doing? Like, why are you being so shy about this? It's not a big deal, right? So like, I really appreciate that because I think affection is a beautiful thing. And like, I think that's a pretty big difference too is, is that there's just less physical touch in how Americans relate in general. And obviously we're, you know, we're speaking in generalized terms here. We're just pontificating. That does make it feel like a bigger deal to go over into physical territory and start to build physical connection physical rapport because it's just less common to do in general
1: so yeah no and, and i would imagine for example you being a dating coach the work you would have to do with colombian men and an american man would have to be very different in terms of what they need to think about it's a completely different game when you're a kid in a colombian school particularly not necessarily in bogota mostly in in the coast when you get dancing lessons since you're like Six and you have to ask girls out, and I've noticed that outside of Latin American countries, there's a lot of tension around engaging in physical contact that is socially allowed. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just considering that you you had a a non-conventional education since you were very young. You lived in South America, yeah. So, it, it's funny how that influences the way in which you're a lot more open and knowledgeable about things that a lot of people in your social surroundings or not. It's Please
0: interesting me. and, and I've, I've thought about in terms of my taste and then like also living in New Orleans and like traveling a lot. I sometimes I'm not sure how to describe my cultural background. <laughs> Or like, you know, like what, like the experiences that I've had that have been profoundly influential to how I view the world and occurred in large part at a very like impressionable kind of like starting in young teen years and then living a lot of different places. It's really interesting in terms of like how that influences my taste and the things I'm attracted to and the sensibilities that I have, I think are kind of weird (laughs) and a little all over the place, you know? I, it's just like, well, I've got a little smattering of that, you know.
1: I've considered a lot of times that one of the reasons why I started like cultivating my interests from a very young age is because when I was a kid, when I was about, I don't know, like nine, ten years old, I used to get music from my older brother, and he's thirteen years older than I am. So at this point in time, it was considered. This is '99, 2000. Most of the kids I went to school with were listening to this very shitty rap metal thing like uh Limp Bizkit and Papa Roach mm. and my brother was getting me into Morrissey mm. so and into this Smiths and all this which none of the other kids knew about yeah, and you were me,
0: advanced you felt advanced
1: it's it's easy to say advanced because it's it's more culturally like critically acclaimed but it right. for me it meant that this guy who had this beautiful voice who had this we we all know how problematic Morris is right but the lyrics in the Smith songs are extremely beautiful
0: yeah very existential
1: yeah and I couldn't I couldn't understand why the kids in my school would want to listen to Limp Limp Biscuit. which the name (laughs) itself is absolutely horrible and I don't know I've had people tell me that this is because I'm a Libra and 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 it might be the case but I (laughs) cannot stand this sort of like shitty adolescent humor (laughs) but it makes sense because it relates to the emotions and this music, and your friends, and the people you want to hang out with, it changes so much of you, the influences that you're getting for music.
0: Absolutely. And also, I think what we're really getting at the heart of here is distinguishing taste in music from the sensibility and the joy of it, from status symbol, and recognizing that having good taste in music, it's a form of capital, or like having good taste yeah. in anything right having taste right that what we think of taste it's like kind of sophistication when we think of sophistication what we're really talking about is class right yeah (laughs) so to your point of like kind of the tension the thread of tension with like elitism in in music and in any kind of artistic taste wielding artistic taste as this moniker of status you know and that's part of what we're doing and dating i think with taste is we're discerning socioeconomics to to an extent i think what we're talking about here too is the way our brains work we like to fucking categorize shit we like to classify shit right so like navigating the the reality that our brains do that and also not perpetuating bias or restrictive assumptions, right? That's just another way that we categorize each other is with cultural capital. Anything that you, while you have a captive audience, anything you'd like to relay? To the
1: people. To the people. I am very excited about the fact that a lot of borders are opening around the exchange of music, because particularly where the borders are closed because of the virus and politicians and all that it's very important for people to consume cultural products from different cultures. And you're going to wow some potential partners with, you know, French electropop, Belgian, Indie Rock, Colombian cumbia, and reggaeton from Puerto Rico. It's going to be huge, but also because it's going to make you grow a lot. And ultimately, I think that we have been talking about this without mentioning it, and it's it's growth. Ultimately, what do you want to get out of music? What do you want to get out of art? And what do you want to get out of meeting new people, having new friendships, and having a romantic relationship is growth, and I think music helps you grow.
0: Opening up your internal repertoire and expanding your internal range and your internal variety and your ability to navigate through all different rhythms and frequencies and sentiments.
1: I absolutely agree because I know you, I know that you do that regularly with, with your travels, with everything you do. That would be my, my message. Try to enjoy different things as, as much as you can because it's going to be exciting for you and it's going to fix your day. It's going to help you find more interesting people and seem interesting to people. and It's also going to make you a better person ultimately.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was super interesting just to think about the interplay of taste and music as a love language and a, a cultural language. If people want to follow your Spotify playlists and, you know, maybe pick and choose some songs for their own courting purposes.
1: Well, I just have a personal profile on Spotify. My, my You would find me as Juan Fernando Ram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Cora.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pillow Talk Radio. I'm Cora Boyd, and make sure to subscribe so we can keep you in the loop. In the interim, you can find me on Instagram at TheCoraBoyd, YouTube CoraBoyd, website CoraBoydCoaching.com. Have an excellent rest of your day, night, morning, evening, whatever it is, wherever you are, and we'll catch you next week.